This is Terry Howell from the Talk Back Fans Podcast, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show with the incomparable host, Greg Rempe. Start the game! Let's go! Do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the really big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show where we talk about all things that are important in the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evenings, a live fire, fun, and frivolity show. If you want to get in touch with the show this evening or you want to follow the show during off-show hours, here's how you do all that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, it's the second Tuesday of a month, and then that lead-off segment in the first hour in the second Tuesday of a brand new month. And since we're in January, why not say it? A brand new year. The creator of AmazingRibs.com, Meathead, returns for his 478th year of joining the show during regular segments. Happy to have him aboard, as always. And then we will move to 35 past the hour where we also have a regular guest. When in comparison to Meathead, a newcomer of sorts, but he's been here for a number of years, contributing great information to the show, Robert Moss from robertfboss.com. And then we will move to the second hour where we will find a brand new guest here in 2024, second one in as many weeks. Do you love sandwiches? Do you love all kinds of sandwiches, but not necessarily hot sandwiches and sandwiches from old timey times? Then you might be very interested to check out the 1014 segment or 14 past the second hour segment where we will find the sandwiches of history expert first timer, as I mentioned, Barry Enderwick. You can find him on Instagram at Sandwiches of History. Trying to remember exactly how I was introduced to him. I might have read an article online about a guy that's been eating a sandwich a day for multiple hundreds of days in a row. That's Barry. And we're going to talk to him about all of that. And during our sound check last night, 
He was very engaging. I think we have some potential recurring stuff with him as well. So very excited to introduce you to Barry if you don't know him already. And if you know him, you know what he's about. And we're going to talk about some sandwiches. I might introduce him to a sandwich or two that he might never have heard of or tried yet. We might get him onto that. I've never eaten it myself, but I saw it made forever as I was growing up in the mean streets of Hornell, New York, where my mother's from. So Barry Enderwick, and then closing out the show a couple weeks ago, he didn't make it. He was under the weather, but this week he is fine, and we will be welcoming in our pal and charcoal expert Joey Machado from Texas Original Charcoal Company. TexasOriginalCharcoal.com is his website if you want to check it out. In advance of the segment at 35 past the second hour, so that's how your show is laying out. Meathead and Robert Moss, your typical second Tuesday of the month, first hour. First-timer Barry Enderwick and then Joey Machado coming up out of the bullpen to close the show this evening. Don't forget, you can follow me socially, Instagram, X, TikTok, and Snapchat, all at the handle at BBQ Central Show. And, of course, we say good evening to those of you watching the show tonight through one of our video streaming platforms. You can go to Facebook, which is facebook.com slash BBQ Central Show. You can go to the Twitter or X which is twitter.com slash BBQ Central Show, or you can get the show on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash at BBQ Central Show for some reason. And there is a new YouTube poll question of the week that I'm asking everybody, including all guests, which include the following. Which YouTube cooking personality do you like best? And the choices are Sam the Cooking Guy, Malcolm Reed, Guga, and Matt Pittman, two of them happen to be monthly recurring guests on this show the first Tuesday of every month. And in the lead, currently early in the voting, 67% saying Sam the Cooking Guy and Malcolm Reed running a fairly close second, although Sam's doubling them up at the moment. 33%, nobody voting for Google, nobody voting for Matt Pittman, but plenty of show to go before we see how it all runs out here during the course of the next 120 minutes or so. So let's start here this evening, and we can jump off on a number of different topics between some new announcements that have been made within the past week and some reaction to the show last week. We'll get to that stuff in a second. But I did want to recap the last show of 2023 after what happened during the show last week where I wasn't able to get to the intro because we had some connection issues i thought maybe that wasn't even a thing because meathead's in the green room already so whatever the issue with malcolm was is resolved itself on its own but i did want to tie it up with a bow as we crossed into the new year so let me do that now it's clear that one of the most if not the most recurring segment each month is the embedded correspondence many of you weighing in on the segment from december going through the best interviews, best trends, worst trends, and of course, predictions of 2024. Many of you thought that John Solberg from Michigan brought serious heat at the end of last year. Many of you commented that you thought he sounded better with the new microphone that he has installed versus previous versions of microphones he's used in the past, and he's had a number of them here on the show. So I'm sure he'll be happy to hear that. And by the way, I agree. John had an edge to him during the embedded correspondence segment in December of 2023. An edge that was refreshing, inspiring, scary. By the way, 
I will agree with all the folks who said they preferred his sound in the last embedded correspondence segment versus any of the other ones in recent memory. I think the new mic is spectacular. I would like to own one of those myself, but I'm going to show some restraint, not get that. And what a way to showcase it with all those hot takes. And now that we are firmly in 2024, I want to make sure that all of you know just how much of an appreciation that I have for the embedded correspondence and the work that goes into those segments month in, month out. But more importantly than that, there's a lot of work that goes into each segment each month that's done behind the scenes during the weeks leading up to the actual segment. So we are all prepared to speak in the topics at hand and they aren't afraid to give their real opinions, which is crucial really to the success of that whole segment. That's how it was conceptualized is my head. That's how it has played out over the last many years that we've been doing it now on a monthly basis. And to the show that matters really it's a integral part. It's a fabric part. So Doug, John, Rusty, thank you so much for everything you do each and every month. We're winning at this part of the whole podcast live streaming game. I can tell you that. Feedback from past shows. Jamie in Utah writing in. Greg, hear me out. You sing. I play guitar. There's no reason we shouldn't start a grunge band and call ourselves Double Dong. Regards, Jamie. Jamie, thank you for writing it. That, of course, going back to a couple weeks ago when my parents showed up unannounced talking about the dong pic that is posted on my skylight frame upstairs that my parents sent over to me. Me and my younger, or a much younger version of myself, my twin brother, with my dong hanging out. Uh, Jamie in Utah writing in again. Gregory, I invited myself to the chicken smash burger party. My wife and I spend our anniversaries in San Diego. We've been to Sam's Burgers multiple times. One of my favorite menu items is his chicken smash burger. I bought myself a Pit Boss griddle over the weekend and broke it in with freshly ground chicken thigh smash burgers. They are ridiculously amazing. Regards, Jamie. Jamie, thank you for writing in again. SVS Fishing writing in on Instagram. Hey, Greg. Thursday morning podcast listener only. I loved your parents on the show when they called in. It took me back to the heydays of the Howard Stern show. Thanks for a great show. And Sean in Ohio is writing it. Fun show to listen to as always. A few things. Reverse here. I always thought it was just a term so many people like to use to show they were in the know. I never cared for the method myself. Just roast it and enjoy. Less chance of effing anything up. Another big mention was smashed chicken thigh burgers. We buy cases of chicken thighs for 45 cents a pound sometimes. And I will de-skin, de-bone, and grind it up and make great smash burgers. You should definitely try it. Podcast and live listener after 10 p.m. regards, Sean. And Tim in Ohio writing in, Greg, love the new bumper music in the second hour. Is that copyright free or something else? Podcast listener only regards Tim. Tim, I can tell you that is the officially unofficial band of the Barbecue Central show, Three Years Hollow. Of course, Jose Urquiza and the gang. Before we get to Meathead, let me ask you a different question. Are you tired of settling for mediocre grilling experiences? Time to step up your game and bring the ultimate flavor and cooker to the backyard barbecues. Pits and Spits Charcoal Grills offering the highest quality live fire cooking experience you can get in the market today. 
using either wood or charcoal. Their solid fuel grills produce those classic flavors you're looking for. When you have the time to fire up the grill and cook for family and friends, with a large adjustable fuel tray, you can raise and lower the fire to control and fine-tune the heat. Their take on the very popular Santa Maria-style grill. In fact, if you follow them on Instagram, they just showcased this grill yesterday or the day before. And you can adjust that fuel tray all its inches away from the protein, or you can drop it all the way down where you have two, three feet of gap between where the fuel source is and where your meat is. Easily get to zone fire, which I know is important to Meathead and the gang over there when they review grills. So Pits and Spits is the real deal. Check them out, pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. And as you're checking out, if you want to save $150 off any charcoal grill, you can use the code CHARCOALCENTRAL at checkout. That's Charcoal Central. You get $150 off any charcoal grill that they sell. And remember, as you're spelling Pits and Spits, it's the double T on the Pits and the Spits, pitsandspits.com slash BBQ Central. We are back with Meathead right after the stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You visit cookandpellets.com to peruse what they offer. Then when you're ready to buy, you go to these websites instead, amazon.com, walmart.com, or lowes.com. Same great availability of products, great shipping rates, even better than cooking pellets can provide for you. Good folks over at cookandpellets.com. Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue weighing in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's show. Let's welcome our host, a man who said... He will do next week's show completely naked if the Browns beat the Texans. Greg Rempe, I never said that. I never said that, Joe, and nobody wants to see that, believe me. And I wouldn't do it if we would win, and I wouldn't do it if we lose. I never thought I would say this as a Cleveland Browns fan, but I'm just happy to be in the playoffs given the fact of what happened to us over the whole course of the season. Crying out loud. My first guest this evening has created... One of the most heavily trafficked barbecue and grilling websites ever to be created in the world of barbecue and grilling websites and perhaps websites across the globe and in its entirety. A best-selling author, a barbecue hall of famer, a barbecue central show guests hall of famer. We welcome back our pal Meathead to the show. Meathead, he's fast asleep. Hello, Meathead. Meathead, are you there? Playoffs. Playoffs. We're not going to go to the playoffs. No way. Not us. But yet, somehow, we got in full of rot with injury. 29% of our salary cap has been on the disabled and injured reserve list for the balance of the season. I thought after game two when Nick Chubb almost had his leg ripped off, we were done for. And I don't know how they did it, but week after week and injury after injury, 
I don't want to say we're a dark horse. I'm just, again, I'm happy to be in the playoffs. If we can beat the Texans, I think there's a pretty good shot at that. We put a pretty good whooping on them during Christmas Eve, granted, without C.J. Stroud, but I don't think he makes that much of a difference given our defense. So I feel pretty good, but even if we don't make it, who the hell knows what next year holds, which is the mantra of the Cleveland Browns. Can you believe me, Ted, that I would tell you we're in the midst? We could be in the midst of another quarterback controversy. How can that even happen? But here we are on the precipice of another quarterback controversy in Cleveland. Hey, you want to buy a quarterback? I think the Bears might have one for you. Oh, no. Justin Fields is a good quarterback. I think he's coming into his own uh, little shake-up there next year, and I think the Bears are going to be the Browns of this year, hopefully without the injuries. (laughs) How you doing, Greg? And hello, Centralites. Happy New Year. Great to have you. Happy New Year. We have a YouTube poll question of the week that I'd like to get your answer to. We're asking everybody, which YouTube cooking personality do you like best? Sam the Cooking Guy, Malcolm Reed, Guga, or Matt Pittman? Alma Kazan Kitchen. Who? Alma Kazan Kitchen. He's had he always so difficult. A-M- I'm, but no, I'm giving you, I'm giving you I'm giving you the options. You don't throw in your no, own I'm it's telling you the best one out there. Almazan Kitchen, A-L-M-A-Z-A-N-K-I-T-C-H-E-N. One word, Almazan Kitchen. Just go watch these guys. They're unbelievable. But of the ones I mentioned, who would you pick? (laughs) I like them all. Yeah, Um, me too. I mean, you know, Malcolm has just done tremendous things all by himself. He's great fun to watch. I mean, he just is the epitome of Southern barbecue. Um, uh, who who else is on the list? Sam the Cooking Guy, Guga, and Matt Pittman rounded out. Well, Guga, I, you know, Guga's fun. I, 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 he is, he, you know, I, I don't want to take. He walks in my footsteps. Um, he's done a lot of this fun stuff that we've done. You know, I think he's he's learned from uh, AmazingRibs.com and gone beyond. Mm. I love his tastings. I love his experiments. Um, when it comes to steak, my gosh, the guy has done everything you possibly could do with a slab of beef. Um, great fun. Um, and the videos are fun. I'm not thrilled with his tasting panel and their expertise, but, you know, the guy is the guy's got it going. And goodness. Oh, a bazillion followers. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're still Who not going to pick got? a favorite? I mean, pick one for crying out loud so we can move on. Amazon Kitchen. Oh my God. Mm. So, Meathead, when you were on last month, you mentioned how you had started sous-viding your rib roast, and then you were putting it in a cooler of uh, tempered water to keep it at the temperature you wanted at, and then you would take it through the river and across the woods or whatever the hell you said. And then you would eventually uh, sear it once it was time to, you know, finish it up and and get it ready for serve. Great bit of info went huge on reaction as I replayed it through the course of the many weeks. But here's what I want to say tonight, and I want your feedback. I've started a movement, a movement that says the following. Outside of using sous vide, 
which obviously you are doing. But outside of using sous vide to cook a rib roast, don't sear your rib roast. In fact, it's not needed. It adds little, if any, additional flavor to your slice. If, you, uh, if, if you're a novice, searing it incorrectly will ruin the perfect color on the inside. You could easily burn the seasonings on the outside, causing some bitter flavors. So don't sear it. Don't do the sear on the reverse sear. Will you join my movement tonight? Well, I mean, I've, 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 I've heard you take movements. We've been to restaurants and you've gone to the washroom and I've heard those movements. And um, I, I, <laughs> I endorse them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it's a good concept. If you're going to do a rib roast or something large, even a pork butt, it's going to brown beautifully on the outside. Yes. So rolling it over direct infrared high heat to sear is likely not necessary. But it, if you lift the lid and you take a rib roast or something like that, and you give it direct flame, direct coals, direct infrared, and maybe a quarter turn every 10 minutes, you're going to build a really good dark roast. And it's not all that hard. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's a good idea. I don't think I, I would prefer if you're doing reverse sear, you do a sear step. But if you want to skip the sear step on a roast, you're probably going to be fine. Correct terminology-wise, when people say prime rib, we really should be saying rib roast. Prime is a great. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, it, the, the, the term prime rib came about because large sections of the steer, the hindquarter, the, the, the rib section, the shoulder, they're called primals. So the prime rib is the rib primal. Hmm. But we also have the conflict of nomenclature where the USDA inspectors grade beef as select, choice, prime, and so on. And so people think it is prime, USDA prime, mm. but it may not be. But choice is just fine. I mean, this is a really nice cut of meat. It's going to be tender and juicy unless you screw it up. A reverse sear is a great technique on it. Or the technique you just described, I got no problem with it. Um, you're going to end up with a beautiful piece of meat. I've never seen this until the end of last year. You replied to it on my Twitter feed, but the guy at go big or go barbecue, who also happens to work for Mr. Brisket over here in Cleveland, which is a nice high end butcher. said that he got started getting requests for rib roast. But then on top of that, he was to tie bone marrow bones, uh, inward on the roast. So as they were cooking, the bone marrow would melt and baste the rib roast. This almost turned into a trend. I know how you and trends are and basting and oils and waters and stuff. Does this make any kind of sense or is this what we would call nonsense? Nonsense. Waste of money. I mean, nonsense. Yeah. A rib roast. I mean, we've talked about this before. I'll, I'll make it as short as I possibly can. Meat in general averages 75% water. Fish is more, some other cuts like um, tenderloin, maybe a little less, but 75% water. Fat, which is oil, 
oil and water don't mix. You can put all the oil you want on the outside of a brisket, beef tallow. It can't penetrate. Mm. It's not going to get into the meat. It will melt and coat the outside, and it might give the outside 16th of an inch, quarter of an inch, some flavor. And marrow, which is uh, a lot of fat, but it's not all fat, will give some flavor. But it, it just, you know, a, 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 a compound butter, uh, just melted beef fat, going to do the job just as well. It's just not getting inside. Take when the you, bone marrow bones and eat it the right way. Put it on some nice toasted bread. And enjoy it that way instead of hoping it's doing Amen. something to your rib roast. Yeah, I mean, if you if you've got a rib bone or a marrow bone, which is usually one of the leg bones, you cut it lengthwise or horizontally. You can scoop that marrow out, and you or you can cook it inside the bone and then scoop it out. It's very tasty. Spread yeah. it on a, a piece of toast. S- spread it on the meat when the meat is cooked. Mm. Take your steak, bring it in, instead of putting compound butter on it. Put a couple of spoonfuls, spoonsful of, of beef marrow on there, and oh boy, that's good stuff. The topic tonight is senses as they relate to food. Everybody knows the senses, of course. I want to start, I'm going to guide you in which one I would like to talk about first because I think these, are, these are develop in importance in my mind. So, number one importance to me, sight. I want to see, they always say, Eat with your eyes first. So what do we know about sight and its relation to food? Well, all right. Let's let's just drop back 30 seconds. Yep. You got five senses. You can see, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste, you can touch. Um, we are like, think of yourself as a television set. You only get five channels. NBC, Fox, CNN, ESPN, and MTV. Educationally, we, we, we are very well educated to visual things. Mm. We know colors. We know color combinations. We, 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 we dress with color combinations. We're well educated visually in this society. We look at a movie and we critique the photography. Um, we understand visual fairly well. Audio. We know audio very well. We have a radio or some sort of sound in our pocket, our phones. We know the difference between bass and treble, between a cello and a violin. But the other senses, smell, taste, and touch, we don't know much about. Um, Yes, visual is really important. When we see a wet, shiny, glossy, juicy piece of food, it gets our saliva flowing. And when we start talking about the juiciness of meat, people forget that saliva is a big part of the juicy experience. You bring in a dry piece of meat or a cold piece of meat, and it's just not going to get the juices flowing. So yeah, the eyes play a big role. The ears do too, by the way. Um, give me a, a, a bag of potato chips. Have you noticed when we were kids, potato chips 
um, just just came in like paper bags or boxes. Now they're in these foil <laughs> bags that crunch just like the potato chips. They get our ears going. We we go to restaurants. We hear the music. They all influence our jaws. The, the they're hinged right below our ears. So chewing, the sound of chewing affects our experiences. But smell and taste are two senses that we don't know a lot about that are easily confused and that are very different. Let's take those and try to define them or help us understand them a little bit better. Yeah. Taste is that which you experience in your mouth and pretty much your mouth only. You have sensors on your tongue, they're taste buds, and they can taste things like sweet and acid and salty and bitter and fat and metallic and umami, which is an, another word for um, savory or meaty-like flavors. They can also feel texture. But flavor is a word that is typically confused with taste. Flavor, technically, according to sensory scientists, is that which you experienced through the nose. Aromas, the smell of that beef after it's been cooked, goes up through your nose. And also, when you're chewing it, there's a passageway at the back of your mouth that goes back up into the nasal cavity. So the cavity behind your nose connects to the cavity above your tongue. And those aromatic um, vapors go up through them into the olfactory cavity. And there's a little bit, a bit of the brain that touches the olfactory cavity and is exposed to air. It's the only part of the brain that is exposed to air. And it's right through the olfactory cavity. So as aromas go up, they touch this olfactory bulb, which is the exposed part of the brain. And it's pretty remarkable stuff. I mean, it's really physically closely connected to memory. And you know those experiences. You'll be on a fishing trip, and all of a sudden you remember a fish that you caught when you were 10 years old. The smell, uh, you walk into a house and they're cooking lasagna and it'll take you back to grandma's house. The, the scent of something is very closely connected to memory, but smell or flavor and taste mm are separate but connected functions. And it's really interesting the way they work. I've become a little bit more tuned to this as I've started to pick up the hobby of cigar smoking. There's something called a retrohale. So you would yes, take the cigar smoke in, and then uh, I expel, let's say, 85% out of my mouth, and then I'll close my mouth and blow the smoke through my nose. So the smoke is now going up the exact same channel that you were talking about exhausts out my nose. And now you're getting a whole bunch of new flavors and uh, experiences that you wouldn't get. if You just put it in your mouth and blew it back out where you're getting the five in the mouth. Now you're developing a whole new sensory palate as you're doing the retrohale. 
Yeah, the, the, the scientists call it orthonasal and retronasal. Orthonasal is that what you get by inhaling, and retronasal is what you get through your mouth. And if you've ever watched wine tasters, they'll often pour a little sip of wine in their mouth, and they'll let it rest on their tongue, and then they'll go and then make these slurping sounds. What they're doing is they're warming the liquid so that it vaporizes, goes back up through that gap at the back of the palate, retronasal into the nasal cavity where it will contact the, um, the bulb of the brain, the nasal bulb hanging out. It's really fascinating stuff. What about touching? What about, about what, what? What about touching? How does that help our food? Experience? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. What about what word? Touching. Oh, touch. Yeah. Touch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Touch. Yeah. Tactile sensations. Um, I mean, we know what an oyster is like. It's slippery. It's a little slimy. Uh, very different. I mean, I, boy, I'm in the crunchy category. I just want something crunchy on everything I eat. I want, you know, we were talking about reverse sear. I, I want my crust on my roast to have a little crunch. Um, I want my Chinese stir fry. I'll roast some uh, cashews or some peanuts, toss them on there. I want crunch. Texture is really important, and your tongue can detect texture. It's actually very sensitive to texture. So, yes, we, we like the touchy, the touchy-feely stuff. That's not involved at all in the uh, flavors. It doesn't go up through the nose. Um, but uh, tax, the texture is really, and th there's evidence now, there's some debate among the food scientists whether fat is one of the taste sensations. Fat! Um, fat! It, 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 it's an oily textural sensation. And is that a matter of taste or is it texture? or both. And I think that temperature is another factor. Um, hot, cold, your tongue can feel hot and cold. So your tongue does a lot of cool stuff, but most of what, and, and one of the fun ways to test this, if you're kind of skeptical, it's called the jelly bean test. Go get yourself some of those, well, help me, Greg, what are those flavored jelly beans? Jelly bellies. Loves them? Jelly bellies. Get yourself some jelly bellies. And you guys know how they have really distinctive flavors, mm -hmm. often very close, you know, watermelon and cherry and stuff. Now, get yourself a few of those and taste them, and you can really taste them. Then pinch your nose and taste them again and see if you can detect what berries or flavors they are. Mm -hmm. It's very hard when you pinch your nose. Um, another fun um, experiment is go to the spice rack with somebody you know and blindfold yourself and have them pull the spices off the rack and pass them under your nose. You'll recognize every single one of them, but you won't be able to put the names to them. Hmm. Is that thyme? Is it oregano? Is it basil? What the hell is that? And you can't name them. And 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 you, you recognize them, but you can't name them. Then... Have them give you a list of what you're smelling and tasting, and then you can name them bang, 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 bang. Hmm. Uh, it's really fascinating. Um, the sense of smell, we, we our, our ability to, to verbalize 
um, uh, smell and taste sensations is really crude and rudimentary. I'm looking at um, uh, a woman in a red dress, and I know it's a red dress. Now, there's some question as to whether I'm perceiving red exactly the same way you are, but we both identify it as red. Um, but when I try to describe the flavors of a, a barbecue sauce or a Cabernet Sauvignon, yep. it's hard. Yep. And then you see all these um, wacky terms that wine tasters, you know, what they often refer to, and, and we, we should too, food tasters, is reminiscent of. Does it remind you of something? It's reminiscent of raspberries or or uh, straw or fresh cut lawn it's just very hard to name these things senses are important and the second most important thing is meathead is here the second tuesday of every month if you have any questions about anything of course you go to amazingribs.com and check out all the information he's got there you join his pitmaster club if you're not a member of that and in the meantime you can see him in February, the second week right here on the Barbecue Central Show. Meathead, always appreciate the time. Go Browns, and we'll see you next month. Well, as long as the Bears are out of it, I'll root for the Browns. Yes. because we're buds. All right. Browns it is. We agree. This time, we agree. Maybe the Browns and the Bears can play someday. Who knows? We'll see. So, if you have any other further questions about what Meathead just talked about. Go to his website, amazingribs.com, which all of you go to anyway, and go in through the search functions, type in what you'd like to learn a little bit more about, and then take it from there. Robert Moss is ready to go. Before we get to him, I will talk to you about Primo Grills, ceramic cookers, but different than most. Why? Because it's not round. Do they have a round wood? Yeah. But the most popular ones are not round. They're oval. And that's a game-changing design. You love ovals because they give you the ability to do true two-zone cooking, which is very important to both novices and intermediates, all the way up to the professional level. We love control of the fire. And a Primo ceramic grill in the oval design allows you to do just that. In fact, it allows you to cook up to 60 different ways from a configuration standpoint. And once those ceramics get nice and hot, you get a nice humid cooking environment. You don't have any water pans or nonsense like that, like you have to do in some other cookers. And you're going to save a ton of fuel because they are highly fuel efficient. Only sold through dealers, primogrill.com. That's primogrill.com. Find a dealer near you and their dealer locator portion. And then visit the dealer in person. Check out all the different size ovals that they have. Get the best one for you. Don't forget to outfit yourself with some of those great accessories that they have. The pizza oven. They have the rotisserie grill basket, which is great. So check them all out. If you're in the market for a ceramic cooker, I'm telling you, Primo is the one. Plus, it stands up to anything. All the other ones will melt in a Primo kiln, except the Primo. Because it's fired, it's tested and made, engineered to withstand that kind of a heat. So you know you got something that's going to last a long time. Primogrill.com. That's Primogrill.com. We're back with Robert Moss right after this. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show.
Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. We thank Meathead for joining us the last segment. AmazingRibs.com is a website, of course. This portion being brought to you by Fireboard 2. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. You can connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring, or you can go through the Bluetooth. If you have smart speakers in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard 2 is fully integrated with most of those. Fireboard.com is the website you can call with questions. 816-945-2232. I got my Fireboard 2 drive last week. I have it all set up. The thing that I love most about that Fireboard is you get it out of the box. It comes mostly charged. You hook it into your home Wi-Fi. That thing is off and running and ready to go inside of five minutes. Ten minutes if you're a complete dope. And I'm almost there, but I can do it in five minutes or less. So this thing is as easy as it gets. Hold on. All right. Um, So fireboard.com is the place to go. My next guest is also a monthly contributor to this show, 35 past the first hour, a contributing barbecue editor to Southern Living Magazine. Author, restaurant critic, our pal Robert Moss joining us here on the show. Happy New Year, Robert. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Happy New Year, Greg. We have a YouTube poll question of the week that I hope you will just give me an answer from the choices I have given you instead of a 10-minute <laughs> salvo like I had with Meathead. Which YouTube cooking personality do you like best? Sam the Cooking Guy, Malcolm Reed, Guga, or Matt Pittman? It's it's a close call between Sam the Cooking Guy and Malcolm Reed. Mm-hmm. I think I have to land on Malcolm just because he's a little more, I think, on the barbecue and live fire cooking. Sam's a little bit broader base, so I tend to, I think, find myself uh, watching Malcolm stuff more often. Currently, 50% of the YouTube voting public is saying 50% for Sam the Cooking Guy. Malcolm Reed, a close second, 36%. Matt Pittman at 9% and Guga at 5%, bringing up the hind end so we'll see how the rest of that plays through the rest of the show i was talking to meathead last segment and if you want to give me a quick take on it my attempt at getting people to stop searing their rib roasts there's a lot of now the reason it was brought about was like through a whole different experience i had on christmas whether you heard that podcast or now you can go back and get it but it, it wasn't something it was something that i also learned but because something else happened, I said, well, here, I'm definitely not going to sear it because X, Y, and Z. And then I didn't, and it was great. And I realized, hey, you don't even have to sear this. If you're, unless you're sous vide because it's a whole different thing and it comes out all icky and wet and blah, blah, blah. But if it's, even if it's in an oven or if it's in a live fire cooking vessel, enough of a bark or crust will build over the hours of you cooking that where searing is really no need. So I'm saying in 2024, stop searing your rib roast and i'm looking for buy-in what do you say <laughs> um i'm not passionate passionate one way or another but i think i'm in your camp i would say yeah i i think people spend way too much time uh worrying about what's on the outside of the meat and not just the cooking of it and the quality of the meat that's that's inside i've never really found that slathering things with mustard or pickle juice or whatever really makes much of a difference in the end i think it's sort of you know don't cook it too long. Don't cook it. Don't overcook it. And uh, yeah, you're right. If you're if you're got something on a you know source of heat that long, you grab a nice crust on the outside. You don't need to be spending a lot of time searing it and 
uh, especially if you're not cooking. If you're cooking inside, you're going to fill your house with fatty smoke, and who wants to do that? So I'm with you. Uh, avoid this here. Last month, we talked a bit about that new Memphis barbecue festival that is now competing head-to-head with the Memphis of May International Festival. Any new thoughts as you've seen news come out on that, or are we at a standstill now? Uh, not a whole lot of new thoughts. I mean, the, since the well, the last thing, you know, probably since we talked about it, but it's, it's been a couple of weeks, was the, the prize purse. I think that sort of got everyone's attention. And I do recall, I think Malcolm actually was talking on your, your show that what would it take to make him consider it? Well, put $100,000 on the table and boom, all of a sudden there it is. So I, that that to me is the most interesting thing. I think the whole MBN judging stuff just came out in the last week that they're going to sign up with the MBN. I think the one thing that perhaps it, it reveal for me is that there's a lot more undercurrent going on and uh, behind the scenes of Memphis oh, in yeah. May that then then I realized uh, and there, there's been I think uh, I hadn't heard a lot I'm sure if you got you know, people together drinking beer they'd complain about it, but I hadn't heard all the rumblings that are now coming out now that um, now that you have to just sort of pick your side so I think it will be an interesting soap opera between now and in May New Year so why not start off the year with a grenade topic? What's the secret to truly authentic Southern style barbecue? And you're the expert. Wow. Okay. So you got, I guess truly is one word we won't argue about. Cause I think everything else we got to get into like authentic Southern barbecue. You know, what is true, truly authentic Southern barbecue? Um, and also wh- at what point in time are you talking about? Are you talking about today? talking about 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Hmm. Um, and in Southern style as opposed to, to what? So I think there's a lot to un- unpack, as they say. Let me uh, uh, let me try and ask a better that. question then as you throw out all these different qualifiers. <laughs> Through your study of Southern, so I'm leaving Texas out of this. Southern to me is going to be, let's call it from Virginia down uh, we probably leave out Georgia because that's weird, but maybe we don't. Or we definitely leave out Florida because that's weird altogether. But you have and this. You Maryland know, the, is is in there or not? I uh, guess because it's a you know big <laughs> subscriber base. But you know what people I guess would consider to be you know the the true South. Yeah. So over the your years of covering it through the decades and decades uh, that you look back and write about, how have you seen the evolution of southern barbecue over that time okay so i think you've you've got to sort of you got to compare southern versus what and so i think southern against non-southern which in the case of the u.s would be southern versus you know the 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 north and the northeast um i think for a long time and certainly when i was you know younger um the big difference between barbecue in the south and barbecue outside the south was uh sort of the difference between grilling and you know slow smoking something on a pit and i think that was you know just that term barbecue in the northeast people still will use the term you know come over for a barbecue we're cooking hot dogs and hamburgers yeah. uh growing up in the south that we call that grilling or cooking out you know so that was sort of the dividing line and you can sort of think of it as we're doing you know grilling is small cuts patties sausages on a grill directly over heat we're in the south it's you know it's low and slow large cuts of meat for for many hours on end. That sort of was the difference between what 
Southern barbecue was and, and Northern barbecue. But again, it's a slippery term because then in you know the nineties, two thousands, um, a lot of chefs and other restaurateurs started opening barbecue restaurants in the, in the Northeast. I'm um, thinking, you know, Chris Lessinger and others up in John Willoughby up in Boston, Blue Smoke and places like that in New York. And like, you know, so what's the difference between Southern style and, 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 and Yankee barbecue or North, Northern barbecue? I think, you know, at some point that sort of came, became the difference between sort of traditional Southern restaurant styles of cooking on brick and center pits over open coals versus what you could do in the heart of Manhattan, which is cooking on some sort of a, you know, more of a uh, gas powered or mm -hmm. wood gas assist wood, wood smoker type type of thing. You know, sort of think of it between the uh, old Hickory and the Southern pride pits versus the old center block pits. So there's been a little bit of a, a distinction there as well. As a mostly Yankee as I am, when I think about it, I think Southern style barbecue pork, period. Whole hog, pork ribs, widely pork shoulder. And then if you're out of the true South, it's anything goes after that. Uh, you know, Kansas City is going to have an amalgamation of all that stuff. Texas is going to be widely beef sausage some pork ribs but uh more of the the beef stuff so when i think of truly southern style barbecue it's going to be pork heavy if not uh pork exclusive yeah say but as a southerner and, and one who was eating barbecue back in the you know late 20th century at least there wasn't a scene called southern style barbecue barbecue was very you know, sub-regional, if you will. Yeah, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, at the you know the western side of, of South Carolina. Very much like the Piedmont, North Carolina. We were eating por uh, pork shoulder chopped with a cleaver. We never heard of pulled pork. That's that was something we, we never even heard of. Um, it was dressed in a sort of a, a a vinegar sauce laced with tomato. Never heard of hash and rice. Never saw yellow barbecue sauce in my life until I went to graduate school down in Columbia, South Carolina, which is all of a hundred miles from, from Greenville. Hmm. Uh, and there is hash and rice. There's this bright yellow mustard sauce. that seems so weird. And you know, those were two totally different styles of barbecue. And then if you go down to Georgia, you get this red sauce, you get this weird Brunswick stew thing. And then you never got ribs in the Carolinas in the in the late really? 20th century that was yeah you do not go into a barbecue restaurant and find ribs that's something you got in memphis yeah memphis style ribs is a, was a, a big huge thing so this is all in the south even within the constrained definition of the huh. of, of the south um the ribs in alabama so different than the ribs in you know or the the, the ribs that you get in memphis it's a, it's a totally different thing so we had all these sub-regional definitions so you know if you're in the South, you had these big feuds between uh, all these newspaper writers in North Carolina and newspaper writers in Georgia and Texas over what real barbecue was. And then once you got into the state of, of North Carolina, there was these vicious feuds between Eastern North Carolina and Piedmont North Carolina style barbecue, even though to somebody who didn't grow up in North Carolina, the, the, the differences might seem very slight. In the East, it's a vinegar sauce with hot pepper. In the West, they put, or Piedmont, they put a little uh, ketchup into it and make it a red sauce, whole hog in the East, pork shoulders in the West, uh, but pretty much, you know, very, very similar. So I think the idea that there is such a thing as authentic Southern barbecue, mm. um, strengths B as a Southern is, is odd. 
Um, I think there are very, very many variants and, and flavors of great regional barbecue throughout the South and throughout the U.S. Um, so it's it's hard to say that there's a um, a single thing that I would call Southern barbecue. You ever heard of Reverend Marvin's mustard sauce? Reverend Marvin's mustard sauce. No, I have not. Mm. I don't think it's available for sale anymore, but when I was running my barbecue forum well before the podcast days, there was a guy who was a member of my board called Woody Lynch, and his dad was a pastor of some sort, and I think there was a family recipe of mustard-based sauce, and he had a regular version, and then he had a spicy version. To this day, there isn't anything in a mustard-based sauce that comes remotely close to how good this stuff was. And from time to time, I talked to the guy who was on my forum, and it was his dad's recipe, and I think his grandfather's recipe originally. And he always promises he's going to bust out the kettle and make a batch of sauce for me on the stovetop and send me a bunch of different ball jars of it just to have, and it never happens. And I feel weird always reaching out and asking for more, but this was easily some of the best stuff I've ever had. Do you you happen to know where geographically uh, he was from? Charleston? Oh, Charles. Well, that, that's right where my neck was. So I should know about that. I'll have to, to look it up. Um, there are some interesting pockets of mustard sauce. Everybody associates mustard sauce with South Carolina. But if you go down around Columbus, Georgia, uh, over on the Alabama, Georgia line, there's a whole area with, of mustard sauce there. If you go down to Jacksonville, Florida, there's quite a number of barbecue joints down there. Mm. They've been serving mustard sauce for 50 or more years. And so, and, and it's a little bit different than here in the South Carolina, a little bit different flavor a little bit a little bit different stuff in it so i'd be i'd be curious to say so i'm gonna have to track down reverend reverend marvin's uh mustard sauce i will also do a little legwork on my end i'll reach out to woody and make sure that i have him pinned in the right location there in carolinas heaven forbid it's somewhere completely different than what i think it is but at least that way you know and you can you know put it on your radar and maybe i can finagle some mustard sauce out of him finally we got a couple minutes left wanted to ask you about a term that just got on my radar as the year was closing out. Nutrient-dense food. Now, my introduction to this was through a guy that is raising a... or He's in the business of Wagyu beef. He's um, ranching, and he's got some really great beef. There's no doubt about it. But I've never heard the term nutrient-dense food, and then I heard it from him, and then all of a sudden I started hearing it getting sprinkled all around here as 2023 started to wrap up. So do you know the term and, and what do you know about it? I do, but I think I know it primarily because you mentioned a, you know, a, a previous show at some point and I was like, nutrient dense, what is exactly that? So I did actually look into it just a, just a little bit, not not very deep because I was thinking it's like, hey, this is the flavor of the month, right? This yeah, is the right. term. Um, it actually goes back quite a bit. You know, I was able to turn up a bunch of things. It, it comes out of the... Um, the sort of nutritionist world. Uh, if you if you go back into the 1990s, early 2000s, it's in a lot of papers and academic type. You know, people who are you know at universities studying. You know, yeah, masters or PhD in nutrition. And so it sort of came out of the nutritionist world. Um, it really just means it, it's a it's a curious term to me because it basically means the opposite of you hear empty calories or. Yeah something like that, you know, something, the junk food, it's something that has a lot of calories. It'll fill you up, but doesn't have a whole lot of other 
nutritional value in it, like vitamins and protein and all the the other things. Um, it's 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 funny the you know humans evolved because we were <laughs> it was hard to get calories, so we are naturally drawn to things that are you know fatty and and and, and full of we don't care about nutrition. We have no trouble getting vitamins and things like that. But it sort of evolved out as sort of this catch-all term for you know, you name it, all the things that your mom wants you to eat, leafy greens and, you know, whole grains and all that kind of stuff, because, you know, gram per gram, there's more vitamins and carbon or mm. all the, all the good stuff in it. Um, I don't know that it's a very useful term to say, you know, eat your you know nutrient dense food <laughs> for me. It's just like, uh, all right. Um, and what I thought was curious is that you, know, you come across in, in the Wagyu beef that um, these days it tends to be people pushing the, the what you might call a healthier diet. Uh, in mm-hmm. the 90s, there was a lot of people from like places like Iowa State University pushing a, a, a meat diet. You know, you need to get lots of meat because meat is nutrient rich, rich, you know, gram for gram, ounce for ounce. There's more protein in it than, you know, say an apple or something like that. It's sort of flipped around a little bit now. So I tend not to, uh, these things come and go over time. So I tend not to put too much truck in them. The other thing that was tied to nutrient dense food was the thought that it's not necessarily the amount of calories that you're going to be eating. It's the quality of the calorie that you're going to be eating as we get into 2024 people are going to become a lot more keen to their diet and they're going to be they might be consuming more calories but because they are nutrient dense calories or better calories for you that it's not going to make you a big fat f and you're going to get diabetes now you're actually going to be a muscular better in shape if you're doing your part as well uh, to eat these kind of foods versus the traditional bad stuff. Yeah. Well, I think if you've been around for more than a decade or so, um, yeah, these things come and they go, they come and they go. And the dream is if we just pick the right foods, if we just eat the right things with this, this one simple trick that doctors in Mount Pleasant don't want you to know, um, then we'll be, we'll be very happy and, and, and lose weight. Uh, like crazy. Um, it hasn't happened yet. So maybe it's nutrient dense. Maybe, maybe finally this will crack, crack the nut. And that- Be aware that for the rest of the year, Robert and I are in the midst of working on a project where we're going to be bringing to you topics. They're going to blow your mind. They're going to shake the foundations of the live fire industry. And well, we're gearing up to bring you some top quality content through the rest of the year. So looking forward to doing that starting in February. Always appreciate the time, Robert, and we'll see you next month. Yep, sure thing, Greg. Talk to you then. It's Robert Moss, robertfboss.com. 50% of you are saying Sam the Cooking Guy is your favorite YouTube cooking personality, and 38% of you are saying Malcolm Reed and the rest trail far behind. Will I be able to get back here in time to get us to the second hour? Let's see. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. And we thank Robert Moss for joining us last segment. RobertFMoss.com, and if you missed it, you can get it on podcast tomorrow. 
Meathead was before him, also on podcast tomorrow, Wednesday, but we'll talk about that here in just a second. Refresh your libations. We are pointing to the second hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network.